Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Week 2 of Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're going to start off with the Calgary Flames prospects, and we're happy to bring on Craig Conroy, the Assistant General Manager. Connie, thanks for coming on the show. We always appreciate it. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Before we get into a few players, I just want to talk about your thoughts of the impact of moving your AHL franchise into Calgary with the Flames and what you think that's going to do to the development of your prospects moving forward knowing that you have your entire staff, player development staff, NHL coaching staff, the American League, all in the same place, all at the same time. Well, you got to see it during COVID when the team was up here. To have Daryl go to games, have the the NHL staff go to games and kind of work with their American League staff, and then to have our skills coaches, our skating coaches, you know, Marty Jellin up here living in Calgary, to be able to be there every day with the kids, you know, it's it's invaluable. And just to see where this – to go to watch practice. I mean, they have camp going on right now. And for me to be able to go watch the scrimmage tomorrow at 1030, I can't do that if it's in Stockton, you know, so just from a selfish point on my thing to go to the home games, to be able, it's a lot more hockey for me, but to be able to watch him and be a part of it and be around the coaching staff and, and just, you know, to call guys up and down and, and everything just seems to work. You know, you talk to every team around the league that has it in the same uh, location and they love it. So you know, I think it's going to be a home run for us, to be honest. Let's talk about uh, first player on the list is, is Jacob Pelche, and he had a remarkable rookie season in the American League. That It's so rare that a rookie can put up a point a game in the American League. That's a tough league to get points in for a kid. Talk about, you know, him exceeding expectations. I don't think even him, I don't think he even himself thought he was going to pull that off. And then next steps for him and taking those steps to be that well-rounded player so that when he's ready to jump into, you know, the NHL, that he can be put in a position to be successful right away. Well, that was it. I mean, you kind of think young players coming in, it's going to be a transition. You're playing against men. You're, you know, you're not used to living on your own, everything that goes along with it. And he just was seamless. I came right in, did exactly what he did in junior in the American league. And yeah, he blew, he blew us away. I mean, with everything that went on and, and now moving forward, I mean, obviously training camp, he got sent back down. I know everybody wants first round picks uh, to play right away, but he's right on the right path. I mean, he, he did it. Now we want him to go down and dominate. And then with being in Calgary, have Daryl watching him, you know, when we have injuries, when it's time for him to get his chance to come up and play NHL games he comes up and do that and it might just be a situation this year where he just gets a handful of games or he gets 10 you just don't know but if he continues to uh, kind of progress the way he has been you know you see this year's another stepping stone then hopefully by next year he's ready for NHL full-time I mean that's kind of the you bringing them along slowly, but with a coach like Daryl, that's what he wants. When you get to the NHL, he wants you to be ready for the NHL. So if we could get him in some games this year, it would be, a, you know, a huge thing and, and have him continue to compress, you know, uh, step forward. And it's just little things to his D side of the game, you know, little, little nuances that everyone wants to improve on, but he's, he's done an amazing job so far. And we, we were really, really excited about him. Craig, I was going to ask you about his details. Do you feel that that's one area when he turned pro that you saw 
further development in when relative to when he was still in the queue? And how how far do you think he is away from being able to really be trusted uh, to be able to play the 200-foot game? You know, that was the thing that surprised me. Coming from the queue, he was so offensive. Everything was about offense, offense. He did a great job right from the beginning. I mean, I think, you know, Mitch Love down there, our coaching staff, they did a great job, but he bought in. He's like, okay, the offensive side I know is there. I have to do all those other things to be a 200-foot player and responsible where the coach trusts me to put me out in key situations. You know, when you're down a goal, when you're up a goal, you know, you want to be in every situation. And I feel like he, he made huge strides in that. And I think if he continues to do that, you know, the sky's really the limit. I mean, he's, he's such a competitive guy and he wants to do it. He's hard on himself. So, I mean, he's probably disappointed that he got sent down. But for us, it, he's on the right path. You know, as a player, you never want to hear that. You never, well, I'm ready to play in the NHL now. Well, you know, we think you still need a little bit more time, but another solid year of the way he's going. And if it continues to, at the pace he kind of progressed last year, if he does that now, you know, who's to say after Christmas, he's not up here. It's just one of those things. We're looking for top nine forwards. That's what we're doing right now here in camp. So has anyone really grabbed that spot? I don't know if they have. So even though he got sent down, doesn't mean he's stuck. He's got to prove that he can do it and hopefully get back up here. I want to ask you another forward had a, a good rookie season as well in Connor Zari. And what are the things that you've seen in his game that he needs to work on to take that next step? Because I thought as a rookie, he came in and did a very good job. Like, once again, he didn't put up the same kind of numbers, obviously, that Peltier did. But I think for a rookie, if you're on that half a point mark, like, that's an that's an excellent year. Like, it's you know, an I, excellent year to be able to handle that type of rigors. And especially for a rookie coming in and not exactly understanding how competitive and skilled and fast and big the players are in the American League. Well, the one thing I felt, poor Connor last year, he got hurt in camp. He, every time he started to get going, he had an injury last year. So I was just excited when he came back to see where his skating was because we were always, but he had injuries, you know, he had a foot thing right from the, the first, uh, I think the first game we played a rookie camp against Edmonton, he got hurt, missed camp, came back, got hurt again. It was like for him to have the season he had with all the injuries had, I, w- I was happy with the season. Don't get me wrong, but I was very disappointed because I didn't feel like he had the, you know, a a real fair shake all year long because he always was working through something injury-wise. And I thought this camp, he was probably the best young forward camp. The biggest surprise for me out of all the guys that came in, he took a huge step, you know. I still think, obviously, strength, but he wanted the puck in camp more. He wanted to have be in charge. You know, he wanted to try to make plays. Uh, The pace has got to pick up a little bit at the NHL level, but he's taken big strides. His skating looks even better to me and he's competitive and he's on pucks and he wants to, uh, he wants to be a different difference maker out there. And I think that's exciting for me because I wasn't quite sure last year with all the injuries, how he was going to respond coming back, but he's on a, he's on a great path too. And and really, like I said, I thought he was the best young guy in camp for us uh, this year. Craig, you mentioned the skating. Uh, it's always been, uh, pardon the pun, but the Achilles heel of the player, right? It's always been the 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 aspect to him that was the question mark turning pro and what it would mean for his career because instinctively I feel that he does have uh, line-driving elements. There, there is a takeover 
aspect to him. I remember the dub specifically, a lot of takeover moments from him, but would the skating allow him to continue that? Do you feel now that you've seen him in camp and with the skating progression that that's more likely to materialize now as a professional? I do feel better. I mean, I feel like, uh, and to see the work he's putting in, that's the thing, you know, guys say, well, I got to work on my skating. Skating's not fun to work on. Skating is hard work. And it's, you know, the last thing you want to do after practice is bag skates and work on your skating and just, you know, you want to play with the puck. You want to shoot on the goalie. You want to work on other things, but I'll give him credit. He's, he's putting the time in. He says, okay, if you guys think it's my skating, I'm going to do it. So we are Danielle, our skating coach being here in Calgary uh, with the steps he's taken. I do think he's, he's going, it, it's quickness out of the corners, because when you're, you know, you're against bigger guys, you need to get that separation. And if you watch Johnny Gaudreau, he's so elite at just separating just enough to be able to buy enough time to make a play. And that's where Zari's going to have to do too. But even with that said, he's probably more competitive and stronger on pucks than Johnny was at the same age, you know, but it's just Johnny was an elite skater right away. And with Zari, it's just going to take his skating a little bit more to, to just buy time and space so he can make plays because he sees the ice well. He's got really good hands and his hockey sense is high. So, you know, once the skating and, and physically, he's still going to have to get stronger. You could see in some of the battles, uh, you know, there's some big men out there, uh, you know, in those in those battles. And he's he's trying as hard as he can. It's just not quite there yet. But, you know, that's going to come with time. You think there's a an element of deception in his game when it comes to that helps make up for the lack of like that burst um, so that he, you know, he could do a little shoulder head fakes when he is in those types of battles. Once he gets the puck is to be able to provide himself an extra half a second in that respect. Yeah. And he's got great awareness where everyone is in the ice. So if he gets that half sec, you know, gets away from the stick check and he can make plays, you know, it's just, Guys close quickly in the NHL. They're big, they're strong, and they're always defending with, you know, you you're, you don't have much room to maneuver with the puck. So if he can separate, because he can find players, he's got good hands. He makes, especially in tight traffic areas, he still makes plays. Like, that's the one thing that you kind of say, oh, that was a nice play. And he had two or three good chances the last exhibition game he played. And you'd love for confidence, just a buried one of those. One just hit a guy and went out. And so, but, you know, he puts himself, he goes to the hard areas because he's willing to take a hit to try to score a goal, you know? So he definitely has that mentality to get into the hard areas and do what it takes around the net where it's, it's not fun. Some guys don't want to play in those hard areas, but he's definitely willing to get in there and, and muck it up a little bit. We're going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio. Stay tuned. We'll talk more about the Calgary flames prospects right after these messages. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk to Craig Conroy, Assistant General Manager of the Calgary Flames, about some prospects in their system. Craig, I want to ask you about Yuso Valimaki. And one of the things I like about your guys' philosophy and player development is it doesn't matter if the player is a first round pick. He has to develop at a pace where when he can play in the NHL, it because the NHL is not a development league and put the player in a position to be successful. And it's okay that it takes five years because that's the average. 
surprisingly for most people, they don't realize like, sure, let's talk about the top 10 picks. They don't count, but everybody else below them generally takes four or five years to really hit their stride. Do you think you so based on his continued development is knocking on the door to push down for a roster spot and finally like sort of claim his stake? Well, definitely. I mean, I think the one thing with you, so he was really trending closer probably a few years ago and then he had a major knee injury. Uh, and it did, you know, when you have an ACL injury, it takes a full year to kind of come back from that. So, you know, when you still in your mind, you need to kind of overcome maybe the fear of the knee and, and know that it's okay. It's 100% good. Here we go. We're back. I mean, I've seen lots of guys do it. Some guys, it can be six months, some guys a year, some guys even a little longer. So with you, so, I mean, the way he plays, he finally looks like he's got that confidence in his legs that, Hey, I can get in there, battle, compete. You know, he's got good vision on the ice. He sees the puck. Well, and yeah, you know, I mean, obviously we, everybody wants our first rounders. I feel like, for me, forwards can make an impact sooner in the NHL. Defense is harder. I mean, it's hard to play defense in the NHL. So you never want to rush those guys. You're always hoping, you know, uh, sooner than later. But it looks like his game's maturing and he, he sees the ice. He knows what he wants to do out there. And his, his, his knee's gotten better. He continues to feel like, okay, his game's coming back. And a lot of that's mental, you know, on, on his part. He's got to feel comfortable where he is in his game. Speaking of his game, Craig, can you talk a bit, just about how you see him as a defenseman and uh, what you've seen materialize in him since he's come back from injury in terms of his progression. Yeah. You know, I think he's got to get back into more. The offensive side was really a strength of his in juniors and he's got to have confidence that he can do that. And he's starting to jump up in the plate, but he sees the ice really well. He has a good understanding offensively of where he wants to go. He just has to have the confidence in his legs that to get up there and then get back if it doesn't work out, but he defends well, he's got a good stick you know, his passing is sharp. And, you know, when you watch him, there's a guy that we think, you know, we're always looking for a power play guy at the NHL level. He's got to kind of take that next, the bull by the horns and, and grab that spot at some point, because he's, he's got all the tools. We just have to, uh, you know, make sure he continues to com com uh, kind of progress at his own pace, you know, and, and like we, like Shane said earlier, you know, not everybody's uh, Connor McDavid and, and they come in and do what he does, you know, so we kind of have to work with him, but he's definitely got a great attitude. He came in camp in good shape and now it's just a matter of, uh, we have a lot of D here in camp. So it's, it's a competition and that's what it's all about. This is the NHL. It should be a competition. Well, you look at it from his perspective and, and having a, a big injury and when you're tracking prospects, particularly in that 20 to 23 year, year old age group in that range, that's where the challenges come in because those three years or four years are so critical to development. They really can't afford a massive injury like that. And I think it says something about his dedication to be able to get back. And he's a big body. He's 6'2", over 200 pounds. It's like it's not like he's a small defenseman. So he has that aspect and element in his game as well. Oh, no, he's got a he's a strong lower body. I mean, he's you look at him and he's he looks like an NHL player down there. You wouldn't say he's a younger guy. Physically, he looks he's a man. I mean, he's down there. He looks physically, you know, his work ethic in the gym. He, he's doing everything right. You know, and now it's about getting that confidence back in the playing side of his game that that's going to take him to the next level. That's really the, the only thing that we, he, he's kind of he believes his knees fine. Now it's just, OK, I didn't play for a year, you know, and that's a, and then COVID hit. And, you know, I think if the trending when we played Colorado, he was excellent in the playoffs. We brought him in for a couple of games. 
and then he had the injury in the summer. I mean, it's it's disappointing for us, but it's more disappointing for him. But he's definitely, you know, back now looking to make a push and make this team. And and that's uh, that's all you can ask from a young guy. Well, let's talk about Adam Ruziska. And I first started to, you know, see him more on a regular basis. I, w- I got a tip from actually a, a scout that used to work with uh, the guys at HockeyProspect.com and Ryan Yes. And he goes, I think you need to go see this kid. So I wandered up to Sarnia a few times to see him play and talk about that progression because that is those kind of hits. If a guy like that can play in the NHL, somebody who's not, you know, a top two draft, you know, top two round drafted player, that makes a huge difference to your organizational depth and talk about the progression he's made because there was a lot of people who didn't think he was going to play at all. And he looks like he's going to end up being a bonafide NHL player. Well, it's amazing. I mean, you know, first give him credit. He's worked hard at his game. I mean, I think when you walk into a rink and you see Adam, you it's the physical size and the package that you're like, wow, look, this guy's big and he skates well. He's got a great shot. You know, the one thing that we always, I think as junior, the reason he got a little bit maybe later in the draft was consistency, you know, the consistency in his play. But, you know, everybody develops at a, a different pace, like we talked about earlier, that, you know, he needs to figure out how to do it shift in, shift out, game in, game out. And, you know, he's proven enough already in the American League, he dominates. I mean, he is a dominant, dominant player. And when he comes up here, he has some dominant moments. And it's exciting for us to watch him to see those, you know, to see that skating, to see that size shot, playmaking ability, uh, winning faceoffs. But then it's to see him not cover the right guy in the D zone. I mean, there's all those little things away from the puck where it just takes time. I mean, you're playing the best players in the world. I mean, night in and night out, you're going to make mistakes, but we want to get him to the point where the consistency is okay. We Daryl will roll him out here at any moment at any time point in the game. And he's right on the perfect trajectory right now. I mean, we were very excited. Yeah. And like you said, he's not a top first round pick or second round pick. He's a, he's a guy that we believed in. We saw the physical attributes and could we help develop him into a player to play in the NHL? And he's done a lot of that work, but our staff, uh, our development staff has done a great job with him also. Craig, how do you characterize this game? Do you feel he's more of a straight line power forward or would you refer to him more as a hybrid power forward that attacks on angles and a little more creative? How, how do you look at him and how do you see him down the road? I think more straight line for me right now. I think when he gets in, when he's straight line power forward, that's when he's more effective. When he's east-west, trying to slow it down, get a little bit too cute with the puck, that's when he gets caught from behind. You know, he doesn't have enough time to buy time and space to make plays. But when he's skating and he's direct and hard, yeah, you're, you know, you, you walk out of the game thinking, oh, if we could bottle that, that's, you know, for his size, like you said, there's not a lot of power forwards with, and his shot is sneaky good i mean people really probably don't know how good a shot he has but it's he's got an excellent shot and he's got very good hands for a big guy so if he plays in those direct lines and finishes checks i always want him to be a little bit more physical because i think if he's physical early it's going to make it easier on him. defense are going to get nervous they don't want to go in and get the puck first he'll be able to go get it first so if he does those little things moving forward you know I think people would have thought maybe he's going to be a fourth line. I can see him in the top nine with, with the skill set that he has. Well, if you, especially, you know, you have a guy like that on the wall and he's a bull rusher and can shoot like that type of body can push the D back and create some time and space for more, you know, skilled 
line mates, particularly guys who like to pass the puck. And, you know, when he, I think once he recognizes that he actually helps his other line mates in those situations that just stick to drive into that corner of that net and drag the defenseman with you, that will actually create more opportunities for him down low because sooner or later that puck's coming at the net and he's got, he's actually has really sweet mitts like in close in tight around the net. They're really, really good for a big man. Oh, he's got great hands. He's got, that's what I'm saying. Like he's a, uh, the, the skill package, people probably don't know how good a skill package really is, which is exciting for us. Because when you see him in the American League, I mean, it's hard to do it in the NHL right now because he's still a young guy and, and he's learning. He doesn't want to make a lot of mistakes. When he's with Phillips, you know, and Pelche or Zari, he's kind of played with a lot. It's impressive in the American League. And when he really gets that confidence in his game, he he's a dominant force down there. And that's kind of where, you know, once he gets that confidence up here and knows what he has to do to be successful and what's going to get him on the ice time after time again, uh, it's going to be fun to watch because I think people will realize how good a hands he has. And for that size in the skating, it's, it's a great, great package. Well, Craig, thanks once again for coming on our show. We always appreciate the insight and good luck through the season. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. You have a great day. Uh, it's Craig Conroy, Assistant General Manager of the Calgary Flames. Brad and I are going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now going to talk about the Dallas Stars prospects. We're happy to bring on Dennis Holland, scout for the Stars. Dennis, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Nice to always talk to you guys. So we had, obviously, a late draft in July, and I thought your group had one of the most intriguing first-round picks. Not very often do I endorse a defensive defenseman, more of a primary defensive defenseman, but you know, we'll, we'll debate the offensive upside. I generally don't endorse that in the first round just because I just don't see the upside, but I think Liam Bichelle is the exception to the rule in that respect, because I think primarily his mobility and his hockey sense. And you combine that with this mastodon of a body. I mean, the kid could be a left tackle in the NFL, like he's that big, but when you combine those two other elements to him, I think he's such will be such a unique player at the NHL level that there won't be any many other teams, if at all, who have somebody like that in the defense core. Well, I, I think uh, you know we were very excited to to draft him. I, I know he he was going to be in our area, and we didn't know if he'd be still there or whatever. But we we were so excited to get him. I, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. With he's a unique individual. You don't see uh, many of his his style, his game, his size um, and skill level uh, that come across your, 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 your draft board every day. Um, you know, we, we had a long talk about him. We think he's got some offense there. We don't think he's got a ton of offense, but we think he's got some offense. He shoots the puck a ton. Um, I think, you know, he's been playing in the, uh, the Swedish men's league, which, you know, won't give him a whole bunch of opportunity to, to, to put up points and, and create that. But we think that at day's end, he's going to be a, you know, a menace in both, uh, both ends of the rink. Dennis, in looking at this offensive ceiling, are you more intrigued by what he can do uh, through the neutral zone with his activation rates because of his skating base? Or do you feel that there's a, 
long-term more upside at the offensive blue line? Or do you feel there's a combination there that, that can draw, he can draw from uh, when it comes to producing down the road? Well, I, I think it's probably a combination of both. I think that, uh, like I said, I think his, his ability going through the neutral zone, hitting guys, um, you know, besides his defensive side of his game is, was, was very intriguing. Um, and I think the offensive side, like I say, the big shot, um, the opportunity to get to the middle of the ice and, and, and uh, you know, bring a, an opportunity to score goals from, from long range and, and create chances and rebounds and, and, and havoc from that way. I th- we, we think he's going to be, like I say, a, a, an all, all uh, situation player at, at, uh, at his height of his game. So we're, we're very excited. You know, the, the, you, know you, you always want guys that are puck movers and, and this. Um, we think that we've got uh, a, a pretty good puck mover in a, in a, in a monster body that uh, brings some meanness and, and uh, the Dallas fans will, uh, will love uh, every time he steps on the ice. Well, talk about that shot. Is that a potential weapon on a second power play unit where he can just load up and somebody, and he can have two or three different options just feeding him bombs? Because who wants to like block that? Who wants to get in front of that? It's almost like parting the Red Seas if you have somebody who has that type of leverage. Because if he skates into a puck at all, even a half a stride, that could take somebody's head off. Well, like I say, we uh, we were excited when, when he was there. Uh, his his shot, I think, is still developing. He's still he's the scary part. He's going to get bigger and stronger than than he is right now. So, uh, you know, I, I we think that uh, given an opportunity to uh, you know load up and and uh, crank some one timers off a, off a weak side uh, is going to ge- generate lots of opportunities on the power play and and five on five for us. Do you think that he's the type of player that? should would benefit from playing two more years in Sweden before jumping over and then coming over as a 20 year old. Cause sometimes we've seen it in um, the industry where like those big, strong players sometimes get pushed in a little bit sooner because they think they can just handle it physically. But those, all those other maturation processes that have to catch up to his massive body. I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I know uh, our, our group in general, we, we, uh, we like to make sure guys are, are ready to come over from, from Europe. Uh, you know, uh, Richard Oquist and our guys, Per Johansson and, and Kerry Taco do an excellent job of our, our scouting staff and, and then preparing those kids to come over to, uh, to North America. So, I mean, I think that uh, when they're ready, they're ready. And, and like I say, we have full confidence in, in those, those guys that have our eyes and ears over in Europe, uh, have a good, uh, good you know, pulse on, on his game and, and the rest of our guys over there. Let's talk about Christian Cairo. And I found it, it's almost kind of amusing because they're two different style players and they're so like massively different in terms of their size. You have this mountain and then you have, you know, Christian Cairo's an undersized defenseman, but like you watch his hot, you watch how he plays in terms of his hockey sense and his activation and his fearlessness with the puck and his willingness to carry the puck into and, and be the first guy into an offensive zone. Talk about, the different dynamic abilities this young player has. Well, you know what? Uh, one thing that is so fun about scouting nowadays is the the range of players that are playing and you're scouting. I mean, you you're right there. You you most can't get much farther from one spectrum on a defenseman to the other spectrum. Uh, you know, Kairu is an offensive, dynamic, uh, great, great high end passer. Um, like you say, he's got ice water in his veins on the offensive blue line. 
uh, is one of those guys that has the ability to get pucks through and on net. Um, and he, I love his, 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 he's a competitor. He really wants to be on the ice. You can tell as soon as he gets off the ice, he's like, I got to get back on. I got to get back on. I want to, I want to be an impact. I got, I want to make the play. I want to make the play. So, um, you know, we, we're very excited to have him in our, 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 our group we think that he's probably was as skilled offensively as any defenseman in 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 that draft class and uh you know we're excited to have him in our group i'll be uh, candid with the conversation i had about him dennis directly after the draft I, I was talking to an nhl scout and uh he would agree with everything you're talking about here in terms of the offensive uh, upside I, I saw as well i thought the phenomenal instincts offensively great shot uh, but he thought he might have to become a converted forward in time due to a lack of defensive instincts in cer certain contextual situations. And the other aspect that I think was maybe um, the most talked about in terms of what might hold him back from becoming a professional was the skating base relative to his size, because the transitional rush defense is in question because of his rate of recovery. Where are you with those statements and how are you feeling about the development with his skating base and the defensive side of the puck? Well, I mean, all, all great questions and, 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 and questions and concerns that we went through as a scouting staff. Um, you know, obviously, if he would have been, you know, six two and a great skater, he doesn't get taken in, in, in the spot he gets taken. He gets he's probably a top 10 pick from from his offensive side. Um, you know, we just felt that um obviously there were some games you went and you'd be like oh my gosh that was a you know turnover or you know he got caught, caught flat-footed we just think that he, he if you would have seen him a year previous and the progression he's made we just believe he's going to get bigger stronger i mean maybe not bigger physically but he's going to get stronger he's going to understand the game his hockey sense and iq is off the charts um i know our guys i wasn't at our, our rookie camp in, in traverse cities but but arguably our, our best defenseman there in that, that tournament. Um, good hockey players figure it out. Guys that have high IQ figure out what they can do, what they can't do, how they can do it differently. Um, so what were you, like I say, I, I hear all those those issues and I, I mean we, we saw those concerns. We, we just think I say we, we believe that he, his hockey IQ, his sense for the game is 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 going to put him push him over the the edge for sure. That's one of the things I'm I'm always intrigued with is sometimes we forget the average age for an NHL rookie is 22.9 years of age. It's draft plus five, so it's okay that this player takes four or five years to get there because that's the average. But if you get an offensive defenseman into your top six, offensive defensemen are rare. There might be 30 of them in the NHL. Maybe. So from that respect, that's where I think the value comes from when you're drafting a guy like Christian Cairo, because you can look at him and go, we have to be patient and it's okay because he's going to take this amount of time to figure it out. But if he's smart enough and dedicated enough, then, you know, you expect him to figure it out. So I think he's an interesting player. We're going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio, but we'll be back right after these messages. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're talking about the Dallas Stars prospects with Dennis Holland. 
Des, I want to ask you about a couple of players that have been drafted a few years ago and watching them go through their processes. And first is Ty Delandria. And I thought I always cringe a little bit when a high level prospect misses games when there's injuries, because it's such an important time between that sort of age of 20 to 22 and you, they really can't afford to miss time. And then last year he, you know, he's in the American league and looks like a star and like, and honestly, I think he, he fulfilled any projection or expectations I had of him and what he was going to become in his last year. Was that sort of a, a big breath of relief for your organization? Just going, yes, this is what we thought he was going to be. He is making the progress that we thought he was going to be. And then, you know, by the time, you know, we get through this season, he's, he's on pace of what we wanted to. It was just like, there was just a bit of a dip and a lull there and COVID didn't help that circumstance at all as well. Well, I think so. Yeah. We, we were, we were very excited from about Christmas on. I, we thought he was one of the best players in the American hockey league uh, came in and played game seven against Calgary and looked like a, you know, a seasoned veteran. Um, but, but you're right. It, it's taken him a, a bit longer than maybe everyone had hoped or expected. Um, but you're right. COVID, COVID really, I think you looking back probably stunted his growth a little bit in the sense that he was on the taxi squad, wasn't playing, practicing a little bit, um, didn't get that, you know, that full season of hockey has been banged up a little bit on and off. But uh, like I said, he's had an excellent camp. Um, looks like he's, you know, on the verge of, of, of having an impact with us. Um, you know, we like him because he can play all over. He can play center. He can play wing. You know, he can kill penalties. He can, you know, can move it up and down the lineup. Uh, he, he's going to be a good player and, and, and a vital part of our team moving forward for sure. Where have you seen him improve the most from where he was during the COVID pause to now at camp? Where have you seen the most significant impact? I think, you know, I think it's just probably his maturity uh, and, and sense of, of, of awareness of where to put pucks. I think he's just started. It's very difficult, I think, for guys that play junior and then you move into the pro game and you're sort of reinventing who you are and what kind of player is makes you successful. And I think it took him a little bit to figure out that what he was or how he was going to be the most successful. And I think he's starting to understand and, and he's, he's, you know, he feels good in his skin and feels happy with where he's at in his career. Um, but yeah, he just looks like a good, really good 200 foot player now. Yeah. Perhaps one of the things that when I was watching him play is, is that recognition of being this, the Swiss army knife being, being able to be versatile in all these different situations because you see it in junior, the real top end guys can get away with cheating. I mean, maybe cheating is not the right word, but you know, they can do things that they certainly are not going to get away with at the American hockey league. And then having to almost dial themselves back to realize less is more in a lot of those situations and having to rely on your teammates more offensively and defensively and not having to do it all by yourself or maybe with you and one line mate. Well, it really is important. Like you said, it's, it's sort of that reinventing, refiguring out, uh, you know, there, there's the, the high-end guys that, you know, keep stepping up and playing the same role and same role. Lots of guys need to, uh, like you say, understand what their strengths are and, 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 and then what your strengths are within that organization, what that your team needs and, and how, how that's going to make you successful also. Yeah, I find that really fascinating. That's why I like watching players take that long road for development because I just find it's easier to dissect, okay, 
what they're going to do and how they're evolving and can't do they accept it? I think the willingness of the player is one of the biggest either benefits to that player moving forward into the NHL or the thing that holds them back is I'm like, this is who I am and I'm not willing to change my identity. Well, it, re- it really is. I, I think you, you, you nailed it right there. I mean, there, there's, there's so many players that get stuck into this is what I am and this is what I do the best and don't realize, realize or want to, you know, trans transition their game to something else to be, um, you know, I, I was talking to another guy, another skill the other day, Stu Barnes was a high end, high end offensive player back in the eighties and junior. Well, Stu Barnes was a really good face-off guy, two-way guy at the end of his career. You know, even, even the high-end guys need to, you know, change. Steve Eiserman came in at a high-end guy and turned himself into, into a, you know, two-way player. I mean, it, it, you've got to figure out how, how to be successful in, in, the, in the capabilities and the skill sets that you have. When I ask you about a two-way player in Oscar back, and when I watched him in his draft year, I thought, there's a third line center in the NHL, a guy who can just like take away time and space, create a little bit of offense for you, but just be a guy that a coach can throw over the boards and go, this guy needs to be stopped. You got to like shut this centerman down. Don't leave him at, don't leave him just like glue to him and just irritate him and play heavy on him. And that's where I sort of see Oscar backs game. And it, it's interesting when he went to the American hockey league, it didn't really changed but he just got better at doing it. Well, you say, and there's some guys that, you know, you, you sort of change gears here again. He's a guy that knows what he does is really good at what he does. Uh, coach loves him because he's, he's, he wins face offs. He's always on the right side of the puck. Um, he gets pucks deep. He, he's able to, you know, hold pucks and, 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 and keep plays alive. Um, he's, he's a, a responsible young forward that we have in our organization today. How's his pace of play, Dennis? Because I, uh, admittedly, I haven't seen him during most of his pro career. I, I saw him more during his draft season. And the, the one thing that was uh, a bit concerned, I liked his game. I thought he was a very smart player, anticipated to play well. Uh, but the pacing was uh, a bit up and down. The, the energy efficiency wasn't always there. How has that looked uh, at the pro level? Do you feel that he has the pacing necessary to play up at the NHL level? Well, from what we saw, and, and he had a, a real solid uh, American League league last year uh, season. Um, you know, he's still up there. You know, playing tonight in uh, in Colorado for an exhibition game. Uh, I think that's probably the area of, of, of that needs to improve for him to be an NHL player at, at day's end to, you know, play 70 games and, and, and be productive. I mean, I know they're, they're also wanting him to continue working on his, his, his skills and offense and, and help chip in, you know, uh, in, in that area. But, but like I said, he, for us, he, he's taken a nice step, has come over. It's a huge step for, for, for the Europeans to come over, smaller ice sheet, more games, tougher travel. He uh, did a real nice job there. I know our guys were real, real happy with his, his season. And uh, you know, he's came, I know he's come over and he's been in good shape. And, and like I said, he's, he's, he's pushing. He, he's, move, he's moving his game in the right direction. Dennis, how much is that, that transition a part of the style of play they have in the Swedish Elite League and the size of the ice surface? And in some cases, you don't have to play with a high pace. 
because the game can be slowed down. I think some people don't recognize that the bigger the ice surface, the slower the game. Cause you don't, there, there's no, you're not being forced to make a, make a play is that was that part of his transition of recognizing the smaller ice surface. I got to move, move the puck. I got to move my feet in all circumstances constantly. You're like, you're, if you're not churning your feet, particularly him, then he sort of gets behind the play. I, I think so. I mean, I think that that is a reasonable uh, point. I mean, I, like I say, the, the, you play sort of inside the dots over in Europe. It's more of a, you know, soccer feel it's puck possession. Uh, you don't, you don't try to go running around trying to, you know, body check and you're, 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 you're much more positional type defensive structure over there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he definitely, he, he and all, you know, Europeans coming over have to adjust to that style, to that pace of the game. I think that's what, what makes the, the North America game so great is that tightness, that quick, you know, you, you jump in a hole, you, you know, there's something happen all the, all the time. So uh, I think it was an adjustment. I think, like I said, he's, he's a real smart player. Um, and I, I know he's, he's, he's knocking on the door here of, of, of getting some NHL games and, 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 and being a good option if, uh, if need be. Well, Dennis, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. We always appreciate it and have fun and good luck through the season. Thanks, guys. Safe travels. And like I say, great to be back in the rink. And, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. That's Dennis Holland from the Dallas Stars. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back in Powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library at players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now going to shift our focus to Los Angeles and talk about the Kings prospects. We're happy to bring on Mark Yanetti, Director of Scouting for the LA Kings. Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Always appreciate that. No, it's good to be here. Let's uh, talk about Alex Turcotte. Now, this, I feel bad for the kid because, you know, we had talked about it in the previous segments with Dennis Holland about missing time because of injury, particularly in the years of like, you know, 20 to 22. Like those three years, you just got to cross your fingers that the kids don't miss time because it's such a massive development curve for them as they transition from like either college or junior into the pro ranks. And, I watched Turcotte's game and it's just like the only thing that really comes to my mind is kid, just stay healthy. If he could just stay healthy and get a season run underneath his belt, I think his development would take significant jumps in the, in the, in the, in the areas that he needs to make, to make the NHL, because I think all the hockey sense and the tools are all there. It's just, he needs reps and he just, he can't get banged up anymore. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I feel bad for the kid. Um, you know, it's when he's been on the ice, he's been an exceptional player. You know, when he was, uh, I think he was second in scoring in Wisconsin as a freshman before his season got derailed by, I believe it was Mono first. And then when he came back from Mono, we had an injury. And then uh, he had that great World Juniors with uh, Zegris and Kaliev, uh, where he was a catalyst for them winning the gold. And then he comes to LA and he's, just, you know, uh, so, some, some real bad luck. I mean, he's, you know, he had two concussions. Um, every time he'd just start putting things together, it would seem like, uh, you know, another, an, another thing would happen. You know, it's, it's really tragic because, um, 
in, in the, I think it was 27 games. It might, you know, don't quote me 27, 29 games. He played for uh, Ontario last year. His, uh, his underlying metrics were first and second on the team, depending on what you looked at, whether you looked at the Corsi or the expected goals for, or the, uh, or the Gar, you know, over 82. Um, they, like his numbers were astronomically high. Uh, the only, the only even, the only guy who approached it was Tynan, who's, you know, an elite career AHLer. And then the only other player on the team who was in snipping range at Turcotte was uh, Jordan Spence, who showed how good he was last year. Mark, when you're looking at his development, uh, you're looking from Wisconsin coming in. One of the most important aspects of this player was his pacing, his skating, his confidence to create pressure. Where are you in terms of the concussions? Do you feel that psychologically that that's drawn him back from aspects of that game? Or do you feel that, that it has not affected him and he's still doing okay? Uh, because for, for comparison's sake, when Adam Boquist went down in his draft season, for instance, with his two concussions, when Arturi Lakonin went down in his draft season with, with two concussions, it took them extended time to get more engaged again. And so do you feel the Turcotte's still showing that engagement that you're looking for? Yeah, it's funny. Um, <clears throat> I would have expected it to, you know, maybe play on the back foot, maybe be a little reach oriented, you know, at the end of his stick. Um, he hasn't taken one step back. It hasn't had, it's had zero impact on the areas of his game that, that, that he really excels at the, the puck pressure, uh, getting there first, you know, you know, whether it's puck hunting, whether it's, you know, creating possession from defense, I will say, I do think it's had an effect offensively. Um, I think his timing's been a little off and worst of all, when he gets back in the lineup, he wants to get, you know, he's trying to get, you know, it's not, it's not crazy. You know, he wants to get points. We all measure ourselves by points at the end of the day. I mean, when guys go into the arbitration hearing, they're much rather tell the guy they have 50 goals than that is expected goals. And, you know, is 2.9. So, um, I think it's affected him there. And I think he's pressed a little. And the funny thing is, is his points just come naturally when he's playing, when he's playing his normal style of hockey and turning pucks over, um, he's getting actually better looks and, and, and pucks in more danger areas and more transitional danger areas. Uh, but in those more traditional offensive areas, I found that he's pressed a little bit and that his timing has also been off a little bit. Let's talk about Jordan Spence and, it's interesting because I, you know, Moncton is one of my home ranks and I got to see Jordan Spence a lot through, you know, his underage year, through his draft year and, and beyond. And the it's interesting to think, I think back about the conversations about him in amongst the scouts who had watched those games regular in the queue. And I just think he's one of those players that's so intelligent and efficient at what he does that it, would translate better in pro than it did actually in junior. And he had an excellent junior career. And I think he was just sort of understated because he was on a team that didn't go on a long run and he wasn't really talked about in terms of, of like a potential NHL player. Talk about his development curve over the last two years and how happy you guys been with that. Well, his development curve is, uh, I mean, again, we're extraordinarily happy. It's been astronomical. Um, you know, exponential, whatever you want to use, whatever adjective you want to use there, you know, he's improved, uh, far, you know, we, we thought eventually Jordan would get to the level, you know, that he's playing at now and, 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 and even further, but no one could have anticipated he would have gotten there this quickly. Um, 
you know, he was from a non-traditional area early on. You know, he wasn't one of those touted guys. Uh, so I think some of the people might have missed him early. And then if you factor in the fa- uh, the thing that he's, he's undersized and the skating while above average, it's not dynamic like some of those other small guys like a Krug or a Girard or, uh, or guys like that who are just absolutely explode off the page guys. So I find not just the scouting community, but, but anyone who scouts games, whether it's independent publications or, you know, NHL teams or whatever. Um, I, I think we find, we, we look for ways to downgrade undersized players or the perceived small players. And when he's a smaller player and he's from a non-traditional background and, you know, his skating is good, but not explode. You can find those reasons to, to maybe to maybe marginalize him or push him down or, or or to to be surprised by some of the things he's done, um, but you know as I said he's an exceptional kid who's driven and as you said he's extraordinarily intelligent on the ice and that seems to be a great equalizer for any player. Mark, I felt like in his draft season one of the reasons he was maybe overlooked a little bit before you guys grabbed him was because the perceived uh, ability to absorb a rush with his size and with his, as you as you pronounce, not a dynamic skater, a decent one, but not a dynamic one. So if he misassesses his gap, misassesses his time, and he's in and he's in a bit of trouble. Uh, do you feel that what has allowed him to to not only stay up but excel in his short time in the NHL is because of his advanced spatial awareness? It, it gives him the, the it allows him to maintain a gap where he doesn't get caught often and he doesn't have to over rely on his frame. Yeah, I mean, you know, his his hockey IQ, his instincts, uh, that that innate sense, uh, timing, spacing, all of that, um, are, are you know you can't you, you can't overstate the fact as they are in the NHL, um, because again, again, that's a valid concern, especially in junior, because uh, he's much more in tune and aware of all aspects of the game right now than he would have been in junior and junior. You get to have fun. You get to be offensive. You don't have to worry about your gap because you're going to put 68 points or 70 points on the board and you're going to be on the power play. And, you know, if you make a mistake in junior, because you let a guy, you know, you didn't gap right, or you were too up, you're getting out in the next power play. You know, there's not a repercussion. Um, but as I said, when, when you, when you have that intelligence and that intelligence is both with, and without the puck, you know, you, you can see a lot of guys have it one area or the other, but, but the fact that, that he's able to, you know, he's able to measure guys on the rush. He's able to, you know, he's able to be positioned and gapped in such a way that he can take a lot of the body out of it. Um, he got a pretty good education in Edmonton in the playoffs last year, where if things weren't exactly right, um, there were immediate repercussions. And, uh, it was a one or a two game learning curve, maybe even a, a four period learning curve where, uh, you know, he had to be in the season. He was excellent, but you had to be perfect against Edmonton. So I, I think in terms of the full development of him without the puck with him defending uh, probably came through that, that, that very limited playoff series uh, where he experienced some of those difficulties and adjusted uh, accordingly. We're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, so stay tuned. Uh, myself, Brad, Mark, and Mark's parrot will be back right after these messages. 
You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're going to continue talking about the Kings prospect with Mark Gennetti, their director of scouting. Mark, I want to get your thoughts on the continued development of Gabe Velarde. And we talked about injuries. There's a guy who missed a lot of time with injuries, you know, sort of stumbled along um, in, in those respects, missing time, missing development time, practice time. But as you see him now, this is like a big, strong kid who I think could play in the NHL right now on your third line. You just got to find a spot for him because I think he's just turned the corner. Are there some still things he needs to work on? Sure. Like all young players do, but I think he's turned the corner in terms of his development. Yeah. I mean, he's an immense talent, um, you know, skill, sense, size. You know, obviously the skating is still a work in progress, but um, aesthetically it's worse than it is functionally. So um, he appears to be a, a, a worse skater sometimes. Um, but, you know, again, it's interest, interesting parallels. Like when we drafted Gabe, we knew there were going to be some, in, you know, with the injury with the back, we knew there was going to miss some time. We were going to have to spend part of his development actually building him back up and rehabbing him. Um at 11, uh, we thought that was worth the risk. You know, that kind of talent, uh, if you could figure it out, if you could get get healthy, uh, you're, you're looking at a top five, top six talent uh, at 11. But I don't know, he's, he's, he's shown glimpses. That's the thing. Like, I, I know earlier we were talking off the air. Like he led our team in preseason scoring last year. Uh, this year he's been, you know, I, I, I got to watch two of his games. He looks like a man. Like, you know, his puck protection is better. He's getting to those hard areas. Uh, you know, I mean, last night he scored. Uh, he scored two, and one was from right in the paint. Um, so it's seeing him do it. The problem is he has to do it for more than one, two, or even three games at a time. Um, so it's 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 one of those things. Like everything is there. Um, he's healthy. He's now been healthy for the better part of a year and a half. Um, two years where where he's now no longer building himself back up. He's working on his development, uh, but you know he still needs to take that next step. And again, we need to find a spot for him too. But when he plays with uh, better players, he produces uh, higher level results. Uh, you know, and and in the preseason, he's been on the first power play or the second power play. He's been on the second line or the third line, and, and you're seeing some of that maturation and. And some of those tools really come to the fore. Um, now he's just going to be able to put it together in big segments, you know, 10 game segments. Um, he's got to make the coaches trust him. You know, he's got to, you know, he's got to do all the things that he can do more consistently. When you talk about his consistency, is that specifically referring to the attention to detail off the puck, making sure he doesn't get drowned out in transition with the pace of play because of the skating limitations? Is that, the primary concern there? It's 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 without the puck. And, and again, his skating limitations certainly have to do with it. It's a little bit more on the defensive side, and it's actually manifested itself a little less in the, in the transitional aspect. Um, it, it's more that it's more finding that 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 mid-level, you know, that 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 consistent compete level. When he's in the O zone, 
and he's on the puck or the puck's on his stick or he's trying to get a lane or drive a lane, that compete level is fairly high. Um, but with his skating, when his compete level gets less than a, at least less than an average competitive level or even a little slightly above average, that's when his skating starts to be more noticeable and starts to affect them. So when one of those quick hit transitions against, you know, defensively, um, he has to show that same drive uh, on the puck, you know, you know, off the puck that he shows on the puck. And, and again, he did it in the Edmonton series last year and he was a beast. Um, and hopefully that was the catalyst for him realizing that compete has to be, it can't be situational. It has to be throughout all areas of the ice. If he's figured that out, um, he's got a real high ceiling this year. He, you know, there, there'll be a, a lot of happy people. Let's talk about uh, Jared Anderson Dolan. And I watch him as a player. And I thought last year was a really turning point for him um, in the pro ranks. And he's such a utility type player, a guy that you can put in a lot of different situations and a guy that when I watch him, I'm trying to think if I'm in the coach's shoes is this is a guy that I trust. If things are going badly, I'm going to throw him over the boards with dependable defensemen and let's settle things down and get things sort of like back to back to what they should be. He just seems to be that kind of player. He sets a tone in terms of um, work ethic and details and, you know, He's going to give you whatever he has in the tank. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a higher level competitor. Um, his intangibles, you know, he's driven. Um, he's driven in a way that other guys aren't. You know, he's able to do a lot of things well. And and again, you know, he's he at times in the NHL, he's a victim of his own uh, his own abilities. Uh, he's so reliable, and he does so many little things. You know, some of the versatility you said some of those lower role things that um, he almost gets pigeonholed into that. And then when he goes down to the AHL, I, I forget. I mean, he scores like crazy. I forget how many goals he had. Um, but that's the interesting thing with him. There's no doubt in anybody's mind that, that Jad will be able to play, you know, that F9, F10 role, um, especially the F10 role to an elite level. Uh, the question is, can he add enough? Well, not add enough. You know, in juniors, he had 40 goals, 45 goals, um, almost 100. I think he had 99 points. Um, and then in the AHL, he was uh, his, his his scoring last year was really good when he got sent down. If he can find that or just even a, a touch of the offense he's shown at those two levels in the NHL, now all of a sudden you get all those details you like and all those intangibles you like and, and, and the reliability and the responsibility with an added secondary, you know, uh, secondary offensive component, it, it now puts him in a, in a different, you know, a different grouping of players. And the interesting thing is it, it seems to take him about two years to get comfortable. If you look back to his junior hockey, he had a big explosion uh, year three. And then if you look at last year in the American league, he had a big explosion last year. So the question is, is this the year he puts it together? Uh, in the NHL and certainly hoping he does. 
you mentioned his goal scoring mark in junior. I, I thought of him as more a primary score coming out of junior, but uh, with his development in the A, I found that the, the playmaking is what really impressed me. His ability to readjust uh, 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 lanes, the ability to create speed differentials, to make sure he, he was unpredictable with his passing. And then his hook passing was very technical. And I was like, oh, okay, he's really, he's added another dimension. I almost feel like he's a dual threat now. So do you feel that there really is an opportunity there where you think the offense will come, like the offense will translate if given time? Oh, he's certainly more of a dual threat. When you watch him in the American League, all that stuff comes to the fore. He's mm. certainly more of a dual threat. You know, he was a more of a primary scorer in, in the WHL. But if you look back, he's playing with Yamamoto. And, yeah. you know, not, not, if if you want one of the guys doing the passing and one of the guys doing the mm. shooting, as it often happens in, in an elite line like that in junior hockey, you know, Kaylor's going to do the passing and, and Jad's going to do the shooting. So, um you know, and as you said, now that now that Yamamoto's gotten away, you know, he's getting a little bit more of his own individual offense. And now you're seeing Anderson Dolan with a little bit more of his, you know, playmaking offense. So uh, obviously that's what we'd like to see in the NHL. Uh, it certainly was there last year in the AHL. Um, and it was certainly a, you know, it's certainly a consistent component of his offense last year in the American League. So, you know, the ideal thing is um, that it would, you know, instantly translate to the NHL this year. Um, that's really not very, that's really the case. But if he could find each one of those in a secondary role, like, um, you know, sometimes the primary scorers in junior become secondary scorers in the NHL. The primary playmakers become secondary playmakers. If he could become that secondary scorer with that, now that added, you know, even tertiary, you know, that, that third element um, in the background of playmaking, uh, as I said, it, it now moves him up the lineup and it allows him, as I said, when you have a guy who's that good defensively and that detail-oriented and, and that prepared, um, anytime you add another subset to, you know, especially offensively, um, it, it, it makes a big jump in, in where he can play in the lineup. Well, Mark, I want to thank you very much for coming on our show. We always appreciate your insight and the opinions of your parrot and more than welcome to both of you to come back anytime. Yeah. The, uh, the parrot's going to get a talking to after she was quiet right up until, uh, right up until this, this, uh, this interview. So sorry about that. Anytime. Yeah, it was great. Talk to you later. Take care. All right. Talk to you guys. It'll be uh, we're going to take off for a quick break. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in power by PowerPlayer, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're now doing a new feature on our program. Uh, we're going to talk about the mental side of the game. It's one of the areas that's becoming more prominent. It's something that we've talked about many times on this program. And we spoke about that topic uh, with our guest, Dr. Kevin Willis. Just PhD sports psychologist. Kevin, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. No, happy to be there. So um, for our listeners, we're going to go through a, a series of different topics about uh, mental toughness as well as the mental side of uh, the game of hockey. And uh, Kevin's a, a hockey coach as well as a, a sports psychologist with uh, has many clients that are hockey players. And, and Kevin um, wrote an excellent book called Hockey Grit, Grind in Mind about, you know, how to help 
young athletes learn the grit um, from a grit mindset. Um, it's a, a fantastic book. So I recommend anyone who has a opportunity to pick that up. And, and Kevin, we want to go through some of the aspects of your book because I found it really fascinating uh, in terms of, you know, when you're speaking with young athletes and development is such a huge factor in, in the game of hockey, you know, from your perspective, uh, from the, you know, from the sports psychology perspective, how would you define grit? Well, you know, from the book, I, I talk about being passionate. I, I talk about being perception. It's five P's, right? Passion, perception, practice, or purpose, practice, and perseverance. And, and really what I try to break it down in is to understand that, you know, to, to, to stay engaged when things are hard, to stay engaged when you're not getting the results requires a, a level of passion that, you know, some people are willing to invest in and some aren't, right? It's fun, but I'm not passionate about it. Uh, so grit, I think, is a big, big part of all of these things. You know, I, I looked at a lot of the research uh, when I was writing my book, and and, and really, it, to, to make it as simple as possible, it's really passion and perseverance. It's, it's those two elements, um, whereas I sort of get into – a couple of other ones, you know, how, how you should practice. There's certain ways to practice. Um, what you should know about yourself. I think there's awareness, you know, self-awareness is super important uh, in a player's development. Um, but, yeah, if I just were to sort of narrow down what grit's about, it's, it's a passion to persevere. Is that your grit formula, you know, in terms of, like, you know, when you're presenting this to a player, is like, here's the formula of grit so you understand – these different aspects within your own personality and then, you know, what will be required of you to, you know, match your, your goals uh, moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, my, my, my sort of spin on it, it, it starts with a burning passion. Um, you've got to just be lit like, you know, nobody's business. It's something that you would do regardless of who's watching, who's regardless of what feedback you're getting. It's something that you truly love. That That's what I call a burning passion. Um, but then I also incorporate this idea of, of self-perception, self-awareness. And that has to be accurate, right? You've got to know where you are, where you're starting from, where you're coming from. Because if we're going to grow from there, we've got to be realistic about where we are right now. And that's that's a skill, right? Self-awareness is a skill that, that we can train. Um, the, the third one is purpose. It's, and I, when I talk about purpose, I'm talking about a compass to know exactly where you're going, right? Um, you have to be committed to stay on the path, regardless of how difficult it is. Um, but if you don't know where you're going, you know, then any anywhere could take you there or not, right? So my, my thing is if you don't have goals, if you don't have a very clearly defined purpose for what you're trying to accomplish in this game, um, then grit is a hard thing to hang on to because that confusion, that frustration, um, if you don't have something to sort of anchor to and that being your purpose, then you'll struggle. Um, the third one is, is, uh, is uh, deliberate practice. Um, that's the idea that there's a, there's a way that we can practice to get the most out of our game. Um, I, I would say, you know, most, most players that I've, you know, seen on the, at the ring practicing, you know, bouncing pucks around, they're just sort of going through the motions. They're sort of just doing what the coach wants. And, you know, working hard, but not really anything more than that. And deliberate practice is a very special technique for deciding what you need as an individual 
in addition to what the coach needs from you on this team, but practicing in a way where it's very intentional, very purposeful. And then that last piece is that perseverance thing. That's the ability to stay the course, regardless of, you know, how difficult, how uncomfortable, how frustrating. Um, so it's those P's. It's those five P's that I think are, are really important. That's, that's what I would consider my grit formula. Uh, Kevin, following up on your perseverance statements, when I was 17, I was 260 pounds, and it was not a muscle, I can assure you that. And over the course of nine months, I lost 90 pounds and put on 20 pounds of lean muscle, and I never looked back. I completely transformed who I was, and I, I kept it up through perseverance. I've been told that I'm an anomaly, that I'm the outlier, that it's rare for people uh, to be able to basically transform themselves. I, I, you know, I consider myself to have been somebody who got lucky, you know, but do you feel that when it comes to athletic perseverance, that there is a, that the, the formula you have, uh, the recipe you, you've created can be used and be generalized so that people uh, like myself are not so much an anomaly, but, to, but a, a normal thing. Yeah. Well, think about what you just described, right? That you had, you recognized where you were and that wasn't where you wanted to be. Right. And so you made a, a decision, a deliberate decision to do certain things uh, to get there. And you had a roadmap, you had a, a plan, a purpose of what you were trying to accomplish. Right. So we're talking about all of those pieces and then you stuck it out. You know, a lot of times when you're losing weight and you're trying to build muscle and things like that, um, in the beginning, it, it's hard, right? It's hard. You might lose some weight, but building muscle takes time. And so if you're not committed to the end result, then it's easy to bail. It's easy to grab those Twinkies or those bag of chips and, and bail. But you had all of those elements. You had a path. You had a passion, right? You had a plan. You had the perseverance to stay the course. And then you made sure that you did very specific things every day, you know, as a regular to to take you to where you wanted to go. So I think you're a perfect example of what can happen when this, this recipe, so to speak, comes together, right? Um, and you were able to do that. And, and I think that's a very powerful statement to anybody who is saying, you know, I, I don't know why I'm not getting the results. I don't know why I'm not getting to where I want to go. Well, let's look at these elements, right? Do you, do you know who you are as a player? Do you know what you want, right? How much do you love this game enough to stay the course when it's really, really hard? Right? Do you have a plan in place that you're going to, you know, work these very specific skills in a way that you know you're you're putting yourself ahead of your your teammates and your competitors? And then finally, you know, do you have a plan for when things get hard? Where, where's your mind going to go when things are ridiculously you know hard, where coaches are screaming and and fans are yelling and you're not getting the results that you want? You know, if you don't have some sort of plan in place, then it's easy to get sucked down that that, you know, doom loop is what I call it, uh, where people just, you know, they disappear from the game because not because they don't have the skill, but because they didn't have that, that toughness to stay the course. Kevin, how much of that, um, you know, people like to say, oh, it's, they're, they were born with it. And I don't serve to that mindset. I think it's based on nurture and, and how easy is, you know, your grit formula can be implemented to any player that's regardless of their level. Well, I, th I think that, you know, look at the, some of the best teams in the world, look at the you know NHL, look at the Olympics. These are guys that weren't born with it. Some had advantages, right? Some were born to pro players. Some were born big and fast. Some were born with massive muscle. Some were born with, you know, elite quickness. 
but you still got to train. You still got to put yourself in front of great coaches. So I think that's a cop out to say that, you know, Hey, that, that kid was born with it. I mean, I go into great detail on this the idea of the, the science of, you know, elite skills. And we, we talk about, you know, how do you create um, an elite athlete by using things like deliberate practice and feedback and master coaches and opportunities like that. So, um, no, I think if you wanted anybody that is committed to achieving at a high level in anything, right, whether it's playing the piano or, or you know, becoming a chess master or playing hockey, you've got to, you've got to appreciate the sacrifices and the hard work that it's going to take to get there. I think most people dabble, and then they wonder why it's not happening. Or most people, you know, they, they try it, it's harder than they thought, or, or the feedback they're getting isn't what they thought. So they sort of pull back, and then, and then they use the excuse, well, you know, I didn't really try. That's, that's why I wasn't able to make that junior team. Like, I really didn't try. Yeah, you know, I should have. And if I did, I probably would have made it, but I didn't. So it's just an ego protection, that kind of stuff. But, you know, when, when I'm working with an athlete, I, I don't entertain any of that. That's where that awareness, that that ability to, you know, put yourself in a position to reach your potential. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's fascinating. I'm looking forward to this, to this continued conversation. But we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, and we'll be back right after these important messages. Did you know you can open Upper Deck Hockey Packs any time of the day from anywhere in the world? Well, if you haven't checked out Upper Deck ePack yet, you're really missing out. Open NHL trading cards from your smartphone, tablet, or computer and conduct trades with other collectors all over the world. These are not just digital cards. You can actually store cards for free on Upper Deck ePack and have them shipped to you for a nominal fee. Check out the new wave of collecting at UpperDeckEPack.com. That's Upper Deck, the letter E, and Pack.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. What does every competitive hockey player, no matter their age or ability level, need from their coaches? They need knowledge that will help them improve in specific areas, and they need feedback. PowerPlayer brings clarity to the development process and helps build stronger relationships and trust between coaches, players, and parents. A feedback platform built around performance evaluation system, PowerPlayer helps coaches provide individualized instruction, performance metrics, and ratings, and comments with video directly to players. Visit PowerPlayer.com today and get in the feedback game, because feedback is fuel. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. 
prospect news and analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis. He's a regular guest in the new new feature um, on talking about grit and the mental toughness of the game. And Dr. Willis, uh, talk a little bit about the grit research. And I know that um, many of the things that you're talking about uh, were in Angela Duckworth's uh, book called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Um, I have the book. I'm staring at it in my office as we speak. And I I thought she did uh, an exceptional job of putting that together. And how much of that of her research um, influenced you when you started doing grit research uh, for your book and, and what you do in your own, your own uh, clinical, clinical, you know, work as well. Well, it's funny because, you know, in hockey, the the term grit or gritty always sort of referred to that player that could really get under the skin of, of the opponent, right? The, The guy that could get people riled up, maybe was playing right on the edge of being dirty. And, and that's sort of, where hockey in, in took the word, but I'm looking at it. I'm coaching my guys. I'm thinking, that's not what it means. That's not what it means at all. Um, so I, I, that's one of the reasons why I decided to write the book is because I want to sort of, you know, set the record straight. That's not what it is. It's something different. And, and so got into her stuff. I did a lot of other research, you know, years ago, there wasn't a whole bunch on grit. Now there's a ton because it's a very, it's a cool word, right? It's, it's cool to be gritty. Um, but the idea was that there are certain people that have advantages that given an opportunity to, you know, sort of expand those advantages, they don't, right. They just, they sort of, they, they give away that advantage they had. And then there are other people who don't have the advantages. They don't have sort of, you know, she used the example of kids in school, right. Kids that were just naturally gifted in math and then other kids who had to work really hard for math, but yet you look at their grades and they're very similar. And if not the, 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 the non-math kids were, you know, maybe doing a little even better. Uh, and she's like, why? why? Why is that happening? And so she looked into it. She looked at things like the amount of effort they put into homework, the amount of passion that they have to, you know, to to get the grades. Um, and it, and she's looking at it. She's going, so there is a formula here. There is a There are things that they're doing that these other people who are gifted but aren't taking advantage of it. And so that's where I started. Uh, but then there are guys like Stephen Kotler, who has done a lot of work on flow. Um, he's he's one of my my mentors, and he's he talks a lot about how grit is is really it's not just perseverance and, and passion. You know, he gets into the idea of willpower and mindset, passion, and you know, my, your ability to control thoughts and master fear and and be your best when things are tough. Those kinds of things, and so. As it started to expand, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I can't put everything in here because we have to make this thing, you know, make sense. Um, and so I thought I like Dr. Duckworth's stuff because it was um, – she had a, an assessment. You do the assessment, you come out with a score, and that's a snapshot in time. And if you don't like that score, then you go to work, right? You go to work on the elements that make you a grittier person, and then you can jump back into that assessment and you can look and say, hey, is this working or not? There's not – a ton of, of mental training that has, you know, a metric or baseline associated with it like she has. And so I thought, wow, you know, if we can incorporate that, then we can provide proof um, to these kids that are committed to, to doing the work um, that is working. And so they'll stay the course. 
You mentioned the term uh, flow, Kevin. I, I remember reading the book flow. I, I don't know if you've read it yourself, but it was a book by uh, Mahali Zixan Mahali. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I don't like butchering her psychologist's name, but I think that's it. Um, and, and in that book, they describe that um, one of the best ways to acquire flow is, is through basically optimizing experience that simulates med meditative trance or trance-like state. I, I feel like meditation is, is something that needs to be uh, used more often when it comes to basically development in all aspects of the mind, but specifically for areas where you need perseverance because it requires effortful, effortful attention. So my question is, do you, right. do you really right. feel that there is a, a baseline there where you have to go back and forth between basically acquiring the spark plug that is the ability to create an effortful attention so that the rest can fall in place and that you can go through the process of actually developing perseverance and grit over time? A hundred percent. You know, flow stems from focus. It stems from deep focus and it stems from, you know, playing right at the edge of your abilities, but finding success, Right. Um, and so there's sort of a, I don't know, there's sort of a magical thing that happens when you're right at the edge of your abilities, but everything is just happening. Um, and yeah, I think that Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, he's yeah, that's a weird name. You should, yeah, he 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 really dialed that in as far as the different aspects of how to get into flow. There's, there's a list of 22 triggers that help people get into flow states. All of these things are things that we can teach, but it all begins with focus and focus is a function of, of knowing what you want, right? Being committed to going after it and then staying the course on the path. And so I think that ties in brilliantly to grit because grit is about focus. It is about attention to detail. It is about staying the course when things are difficult. And so that ultimately, I think any athlete is going, their, their ultimate goal is to be able to play in a flow state more often because when you're in, in a flow state, you're playing your very best um, hockey and you're you know, burning less energy and it's more enjoyable, right? Um, so it's a wonderful thing to get to, but I think to get the flow, there are some gates that we have to pass through. And I think one of them is, is understanding that grit aspect, but I think you're spot on. I think the idea of mindfulness and meditation, these are, these are things that we can train and, and we do train these things, but you know, it's, it's one of those things that it seems so simple that it's almost like, are, are you kidding? This, this is really going to help me. But at the end of the day, and we'll get into all these other things, you know, as the series progresses, but at the end of the day, if you don't know your own mind, if you don't recognize your own thoughts, then it's going to be very difficult to pretty much do anything in the game. Because, you know, people say, well, how much of the game is mental and how much is, is physical? And, and honestly, I don't the exact answer because it just jumps around. Anybody I've ever asked, you know, there's 70%, 60%, 80%, right? All I know is I've never heard anybody say it's less than 50%. And I would agree that it's not less than 50%. But what, here's what I can tell you. It said everything starts with the brain. Everything. Everything starts with the brain. So if you were to look at it from that perspective, then this game is 100% mental. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com. Powered by PowerPlayer, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis uh, about grit research uh, from his book, Hockey Grit, Grind in Mind. And uh, one quick question, we'll have two minutes left. Uh, 
Kevin, as we move forward into, uh, you know, these segments, uh, I'm glad you both brought up flow uh, because Stephen Kotler is someone that I read um, and I've actually taken his program on flow. Um, if, if I was an athlete trying to get into the NHL, I would be clamoring to take that class. Um, I think all the, the rules and the things that they help you understand and something that obviously Brad had brought up in terms of mindfulness um, is one of the critical things that are necessary in the program that I took. And it can drastically increase your level of efficiency and how much you can get done in a short period of time. Everybody talks about like being in the zone when athletes are in the zone and everything goes right. That's what flow is. But there's a way of getting into it. And then there's a way when you get out of it and you have to have active recovery from a psychological standpoint. So um, those are things that, you know, Kevin, um, that we can talk about again as well. Uh, But we want to thank you very much for coming on the show. We really look forward to uh, this new series of topics about getting into the psychology of the game and the 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 brain and the, you know the mind and how important that is so um thank you very much for coming on today and we look forward to speaking to you next week outstanding i'll talk to you then thanks guys that's dr kevin willis uh this has been another edition of hockey prospect radio so for all our guests for kevin shevel day off for pat malloy mark yates uh sean horkoff of course dr kevin willis i'm shane malloy along with brad allen and we will see you at the rink Did you know you can open Upper Deck Hockey Packs any time of the day from anywhere in the world? Well, if you haven't checked out Upper Deck E-Pack yet, you're really missing out. Open NHL trading cards from your smartphone, tablet, or computer and conduct trades with other collectors all over the world. These are not just digital cards. You can actually store cards for free on Upper Deck E-Pack and have them shipped to you for a nominal fee. Check out the new wave of collecting at UpperDeckEPack.com. That's Upper Deck, the letter E, and Pack.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. What does every competitive hockey player, no matter their age or ability level, need from their coaches? They need knowledge that will help them improve in specific areas, and they need feedback. PowerPlayer brings clarity to the development process and helps build stronger relationships and trust between coaches, players, and parents. A feedback platform built around performance evaluation system, PowerPlayer helps coaches provide individualized instruction, performance metrics, and ratings, and comments with video directly to players. Visit PowerPlayer.com today and get in the feedback game, because feedback is fuel. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, bantam, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca.